This is what you're fighting for. I mean, every day you're out there. What they're doing is blowing people off. If you continue to look the other way and shut up, then the oppressors, the authoritarians get total control and total power. Because this is just like in Arizona. This is just like in Georgia. It's another element that backs them into a quarter and shows their lies and misrepresentations. That's why this audience is going to have to get engaged. As we've told you, this is the fight. All this nonsense, all this spin, they can't handle the truth. War Room Battleground. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, welcome. It's Wednesday, uh, 24 August, year of our Lord, 2022. Lots of breaking stories today. A big house uh, report. Um, about the uh, handling of uh, COVID, particularly in the early days in 2020. We're going to have joining us in a little while, Dr. Stephen Hadfield, Dr. Peter Navarro, the two prominent personalities in this in this uh, study, huge article in Politico, also new lawsuit filed in the, uh, in the Mar-a-Lago raid and ransack situation. This is by uh, Jenny Beth Martin, the Tea Party Patriots, going to have Jenny Beth on later. Bunch of breaking news about China getting ready to for a kinetic war in the South China Sea and Taiwan. Gordon Chang, uh, Bradley Thayer will join us on that. But I want to start in state of Florida. Huge uh, primary day yesterday. And really, the, I think the shining star that came out of there, along with the uh, the moms who are taking over the school boards, is Anna Polina Luna from Florida 13. Anna, uh, thank you so much for joining us. This was a, I want you to tell the audience your journey because, man, this was a tough one. You won it pretty decisively at the end, but this was uh, you had to fight every step of the way. Walk us through your journey in this victory in this very tough primary yesterday. Well, they dumped millions of dollars against me. As you know, being the Trump endorsed candidate, you're going to start taking in incoming from all angles, from the establishment Republicans, from those that are very left leaning, and then from those that I think are paying Republicans to run, run against the true conservatives. So it was a gnarly race. It was the one of the bloodiest races, I think, in the state of Florida, but we came out victoriously. And I think that that was largely due because of the fact that we door knocked so much. We actually hit over 14,000 doors within my immediate team by the time the election was over and made over 38,000 phone calls. So I think it's important to note that anyone running for office, do not underestimate the power of grassroots. That's how we beat them. You've really got outspent here uh, tremendously. What What is the lesson you take away from that? I'm going to talk about the district in a second and what you learned for the general and what's on the top of people's minds. But for all these aspiring candidates out there that are just going to have tough time raising money because they're grassroots or they're populist, what is the lesson that Anna Paulina Luna learned in this to fight off money coming at you from PACs, money coming at you from the establishment in D.C., kind of some phony candidates that were in there. They hit you in every different aspect of how they tried to defeat somebody or basically get somebody just to give up. What did you learn? Yeah. You know, one of the biggest things you have to understand is that if you are going to run for office, no one's going to come in on a white horse and save you. You have to understand that you are literally getting into, I mean, they call a campaign, same thing for war when you're talking military lingo, it's the same thing. You are basically having, having to strategize work. It's, it's, it's grueling work. You're going to be every single day, 18 hour days, you're doing media, you're doing fundraising, you're taking the very personal tax, but you have to just stay focused, keep pushing through it. And frankly, I think that really they are afraid of populist candidates that are standing up for the people, not special interests. And I can also tell you that what it's taught me is that you know, we're in one of the greatest countries in the world, but if you don't think that they're going to fight dirty in order to prep this country and to really take it from us, you have another thing coming. So we will be getting to Washington, D.C. We have the general election in November, 
but I am in an open Republican seat. And so we have about 33,000 more Republicans than we do Democrats. I can tell you that the Democrat that I'm running against is actually an Obama appointee. So if you can donate, head to voteapl.com and do that. But we will be flipping the seat. We will be getting to Washington, D.C., and I will be joining the Freedom Caucus once I get there. Talk to me on, on the 14,000 doors and the 38,000 phone calls. What is at the top of the mind of not just the MAGA people, the supporters, but as you go through the district, what's at the top of the mind of, of, the, of the people in Florida uh, 13? Number one thing is what happened with the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago. There are a lot of people that that's scared. I think people are uncomfortable with how the DOJ and the FBI has really, I think, weaponized against the American people. No one ever expected that to happen to the president, whereas people may have been somewhat distant with President Trump because they were brainwashed by the whole January 6th nonsense. A lot of people now are willing to walk over glass for President Trump and they want him to rerun again. I want him to rerun again. And I can also tell you that for those that are Democrats and independents, the economy is destroying people, especially here in Pinellas County. And so people want to get back to those America first policies that we are all enjoying under President Trump. Talk to me. I think somebody said you're going to be an opening act tonight. What, what is what is the event that you're going to be doing tonight? So Governor DeSantis is really getting on the campaign trail for his election this fall. Obviously, Governor uh, Senator Marco Rubio will be there as well. Marco Rubio has a pretty tough fight with Val Demings. And so the nominees that won last night, we are going to be there with them. And frankly, I'm actually really excited because, as you know, Steve, here in the state of Florida, we have a massive conservative Hispanic demographic. And being on stage with Rubio, I think that you know, Rubio was one of the stars from the Tea Party movement years ago. And so I'm hoping to really hit that base and really open it up for our conservative message to help save the state of Florida. Early voting starts in Florida, what, in in uh, in, in, in 1st of October? And my point is you're 40 days away from the start of early voting, roughly? Yes. And what we're hearing already is that the Democrat is going up with his super PAC and his campaign as well. They are going to start running ads on September 13th, which means we are in crunch time. I can already tell you, Steve, any minority woman that runs for office, they say that we are right wing conspiracy theorists. And the fact is, is that we're not. But they try to discredit the reputation and destroy us. So we're going to basically have to beat them on the ground game. But yes, early voting starts and we're going to be there every step of the way to track in those early voters. How can people, your campaign starts like immediately. How do people find out more about you? How do they find out more about the campaign? Or they're so inclined, how do they uh, donate? Well, you can find out more information about my platform at votesapl.com. That's votealphapapalima.com. Please consider donating $5, $10, $20. It all goes directly to my campaign. I'm not Ilhan Omar, so I'm not paying my husband. And please, again, you guys, we need all the help that we can get. This is an open Republican seat, but they are pouring serious money into my opponent, and we need to beat them and take back the House this November. Anna Polina Luna, of all the federal offices last night, this was by far the most impressive victory. So thank you very much for joining us. Uh, congratulations and fight on. Thank you. Okay, that's a real fighter right there. And this is a massively important race. I want everybody to saddle up on this one. Okay, let's go. We got uh, Navarro and, uh, and, and, and uh, Dr. Affleck in a moment, but I want to bring in somebody that's just incredibly impressive out in the uh, summit. And we're going to start rolling out the different summits, uh, segments of the summit now that we're through the primary Tuesday, uh, starting today and then every day for the next three or four weeks, the uh, Moment of Truth Summit. One of the most impressive parts of it was to the close of the call to action. It was the constitutional sheriffs. We have Sheriff Mack, former sheriff, 
of Graham County, Arizona. Sheriff Mack, do me a favor and explain to the audience out there, what exactly is a constitutional sheriff? <laughs> well, thanks, Steve. It was a pleasure to meet you uh, over the weekend. And yeah, it's a simple, it's a very simple uh, definition. It's a sheriff who puts freedom and liberty first and keeps his oath to uphold and defend the Constitution. If you swear an oath of allegiance, as required by Article 6 of the U.S. Constitution for every public official, if you swear an oath of allegiance to the Constitution, that presupposes that, one, you will keep it, and two, you will know and understand the Constitution and enforce it. It's the most important thing that any law enforcement officer, sheriff, deputy, chief of police can do in fulfilling the necessities of their job. So why on the on the on the stage at the closing, uh, you know, night where there were, um, um, you know, the call to action for the whole two two days of this summit about voter fraud, voter integrity, the machines, all that. I think you had eight, ten incredibly impressive law enforcement officers, basically what you guys would call constitutional sheriffs. Why were you at a summit? Why would sheriffs? Our constitutional sheriffs be at a summit that was dealing with voter integrity, voter fraud, and making sure we had fair and transparent elections. Because the ultimate protector of the county is the county sheriff. He's the ultimate executive. He's the ultimate law enforcement official. He answers only to the people. And who else in this country is going to do official and efficient uh, investigations on election fraud and guarantee the vote for the people and to protect their right. I, I have to take issue a little bit with some pe people across the country. This was not a coup against Donald Trump. This was a coup against the American people. A lot of different offices were affected. Yes, it looks like it, it, that Trump was a victim of it, just like hundreds of others. But this, the real victim here is the American people having their birthright and their responsibility and duty and right to appoint, dash, elect their own public officials. We, the people, are in charge of this government, not the, the government in charge of us. We select how the, the government needs our permission to exist, not vice versa. We select the method of tabulating the votes. And for anybody, CNN and all these other acts for the Democrat Party, for them to uh, chide us and label us because we question, which we all have a right to do, we question how our votes are being tabulated in this country. We have a right to know that. And when we find out there's problems, I guarantee you, the only reason that they use computers is to guarantee the probability and possibility of cheating. Sheriffs can stop all Let me ask you, what about the people? <clears throat> oh, that's that's the question I've got. What about the situation where you have people and you, know, you got the situation in Michigan where people say, hey, look, our sheriffs and particularly these counties out west that are so big, their hands are full. Just keeping the peace and law and order. We have secretaries of state and election officials, prosecutors, all that in, in the kind of voting apparatus. You know, uh, you have um, uh, election judges, you have the, the, the canvassing board, you have all this. Why get involved people that are up to their, you know, eyeballs anyway and just trying to enforce the laws we have on the book? What's your response to that, uh, Sheriff Mack? 
I wish we didn't have any crime. I wish we didn't have any voter crimes. I wish we didn't have any election crimes. Um, but the the sheriff's the ultimate uh, law enforcement officer uh, in every county. He's the ultimate uh, investigator. And I'm sorry this has to get landed. I'm I'm sorry that any crimes uh, get the sheriff's busy. But you know, because we're busy doesn't mean we stop doing our job. And this is our job. Uh, and so if some citizen comes to us and says, uh, makes a complaint as uh, uh, Sheriff Smaling's office in Wisconsin and, and Sheriff Leaf in uh, uh, Michigan, and we have Sheriff Wilmot in Yuma, Arizona, who's already been investigating this for several months. He's already made several arrests. He's got 16 more uh, search warrants to serve. Uh, this is our job. This is what we do. And, and if, we, if, it, if it falls on us to guarantee the uh, integrity of the elections in this country, so be it. It's our job. Sheriff Mack, how can people find out more about you, and how can they find out more about this whole concept of constitutional sheriffs? Is there a website to go to, or do you have social media? Uh, yeah, website, C-S-P-O-A. Folks, this is the probably the, the last effective and uh, peaceful solution we got left for this issue. Um, Go to CSPOA.org, become a member of our uh, Citizens Posse, make the donation, and see uh, when I was a constitutional sheriff that I actually sued the Clinton administration and won a case against the Clintons at the United States Supreme Court. The real miracle there, Steve, is I sued the Clintons and lived to tell about it. (laughs) Sheriff Mack, look forward to having you back on. It's CS. POA.org. I want everybody to go there. Let's get it up on our let's get up on our screen and have everything uh, so people can push it out. Sheriff Mack, thank you so much. Honored to have you on here. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate you. Okay, let's play the cold open. We got Dr. Peter Navarro and uh, Dr. Stephen Heffett. Let's play the cold open. The battle to keep an American state in it, Ed writes this, quote, disabling the non-military side of America's state is not a recent Republican priority. But its record is decidedly mixed. On one day, on the one hand, day-to-day U.S. administration has become ever more difficult. The restrictions placed on federal agencies, including the IRS, has grown more onerous over the years. People's interface with the U.S. government can be a painful experience. The democratic habit of micro-regulation, which acts like a full employment charter for lawyers, also has added to D.C.'s slow-movingness that, in turn, makes voters more receptive to anti-government rhetoric. Financing the U.S. government is about to get much costlier. Biden's new law, the Inflation Reduction Act, will go some way toward leveling the playing field between underpaid IRS agents and overpaid corporate lawyers. But if Republicans regain control of Congress in November, it could prove a short-term victory. They can simply block the IRS budget. The societal cost of this latest disinformation campaign is hard to count. Millions of Americans now think the U.S. government is armed, dangerous, and out to get them. It is a whopper of a lie, but lies have a way of taking root. And they have, Ed, as you point out in the piece, from senior members of the United States Senate, Chuck Grassley of Iowa going on television and saying armed IRS agents with AR-15s are going to kick in the doors of small business owners. It's a conspiracy theory that has taken hold at the highest reaches of the party. Uh, it is. And of course, I mean, we've seen it before. This isn't new. You know, think of death panels and Obamacare. Think of um, the propaganda around the estate tax, re- rebranding it as a tax on 
family-owned farms in Iowa, etc. But it's getting considerably worse. To have mainstream Republicans talking not just of abolishing the IRS and the FBI, for that matter, um, but depicting their agents, depicting these government employees as essentially uh, shock troops for globalists, autocrats, who are coming to a home near you to take your property, to take your Bible, to take your guns, whatever it is. The scale of rhetoric is getting a lot, lot worse. And it's hard to measure that. It, it, it takes root in people's heads. Um, and in terms of the IRS, you know, no government is possible without the ability to collect revenues. Uh, if we're going to depict um, these relatively underpaid and very hardworking people, overstretched people, as dangerous tools of a, of a, a sort of fascist state, then um, we're disabling government. We're watching a, a concerted Republican attempt to disable the ability of government to function at all. Okay, welcome. That's from this morning. We did play that call open part of it. And the reason I wanted to, to, that is the administrative state and the defense, of course. As Steve Cortez and I talked this morning, uh, what brilliant, uh, what brilliant producer over MSNBC got Vice Count uh, um, Marlboro to uh, lecture the American people on, uh, on tax collections. Uh, Dr. Navarro, Dr. Hatfield, I want to bring you in a big report coming out today and a huge story in Politico about kind of the administrative state. And you two, uh, you, Peter, as the, the chief uh, economic advisor, the president for trade and manufacturing, and then Dr. Hatfield going over with his amazing reputation, you had to take on the administrative state in the, in the guise of uh, the, the medical part of it, of Tony Fauci, the FDA, the CDC. Walk us through what this what this House report says. You two guys are kind of named in it. What's the controversy? Yeah, uh, Steve, I'll do the politics. I'll let Stephen do the, the the science here as a tag team. But just one quick comment on Ed Luce. Dude, the FBI put me in leg irons and solitary confinement. So don't talk to me, your smack about Republicans overstating the bullying at the FBI. Okay, just saying, Steve. All right, so today, this uh, House... Select, they always put the word select. I don't know why. The select subcommittee on the coronavirus comes out with this report that claims that I, quote, wrongly pressured Commissioner Stephen Hahn and the FDA to use hydroxychloroquine as a therapeutic in the fight against COVID. Okay. So the first thing to notice here is that the underlying presumption is that hydroxychloroquine doesn't work to treat COVID and is dangerous. That's kind of the hydroxy hysteria that has prevailed through this entire debate, okay? But the reality is, at the time, I was a White House official serving President Trump. President Trump, on March 19th, 2020, directed the friggin' FBI, along with Alex Azar directing the FDA, to provide this uh, therapeutic called hydroxychloroquine used for more than 50 years safely as an anti-malarial drug, to use it in what's called early treatment outpatient use. In other words, you get a sore throat and start to get a fever, you pop hydroxychloroquine for seven days. The science 
told us at that point in time that that would likely help you mitigate your symptoms or even drive the virus away. So Stephen Hahn had a direct order from the president and the secretary of health and human services to put out a directive that would allow physicians around the country to prescribe hydroxychloroquine off-label in early treatment use. What did Hahn do along with his successor, Janet Woodcock, and this shadowy guy named Rick Bright? They directly countermanded, countermanded that order in a way which killed people. Instead of using hydroxychloroquine in early treatment outpatient use, they said the only way you can use it is in late stage treatment for hospitalized patients close to the time they're almost dead when hydroxychloroquine does not work. Okay, the science is clear on this. And so they're accusing me of wrongly pressuring the FDA when in fact the president had told them to do that to save American lives. They didn't do it. And the result was the death of hundreds of thousands of Americans needlessly because of what Han, the FDA, Janet Woodcock, Rick Bright, with the help of CNN, Cheryl Stolberg over at the New York Times, reporters at the Washington Post, and all of these hydroxy hysterics who claimed wrongly that this drug didn't work. Now, let me turn it over to Hatfield now, because he'll tell you that right now, the latest yeah. study St we have, yeah. the latest yeah. study we have says yeah. it Hang didn't over. work. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let me go to Hatfield. Hatfield, at the time when we're talking about this, this is in 2020, walk us through the evidence about uh, the medicine and the science at the time, Dr. Hatfield. The studies that were being done uh, initially were the late late phase studies because it was a clinical trial and that was the condition. You had to try it on hospitalized patients. Doctors were free to prescribe it at the time, but as an off-label medication. And they were prescribing it and it was working. I think we started to see a plateau in New York City of uh, the cases. This was early outpatient treatment, not hospital. Patients get sick, they would go see their doctor, they'd write a script for hydroxychloroquine, they would go home, they would take it, they'd get better in, in a few days' time. They wouldn't progress to this more lethal second stage of, of the COVID-19 disease. Uh, the FDA never, ever realized or never acknowledged that COVID-19 was a two-step process. The early process, when it's in your upper airway, and the later process when it's systemic and you start abnormal blood clotting, your lungs become infected, and it spins up your immune system to the point where your own body starts to kill you. Uh, they never once made the delineation. Okay, but here's the question. If this was pretty self-evident to you and other people that were experts, why, not just did the FDA miss it, why did they push back on you guys that you essentially, if you read this report, you guys went rogue? So, so if, the, if the evidence out there was, was so straightforward and so powerful, how, how do we have the situation 
where these experts at the FDA are now coming forward to this select uh, subcommittee and saying essentially people like Hadfield, uh, Navarro, and these other guys don't really know what they're doing and they were going rogue. If you have as soon as President Trump, now hold, 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 hang, hang, hang on, hang on, Peter. Let me have Peter. Sorry. I want, I want I Hadfield, Dr. Hadfield will answer. Okay. If you have an effective outpatient treatment that's safe, it makes it very difficult to get an EUA for a vaccine, a brand new vaccine, a new type of technology used in a vaccine. Uh, to have eleven dollars worth of tablets keep you out of the hospital and save your life. Um, I don't think this was going to be allowed. Okay. 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 Hang on. Stop. Full stop. Full stop. Hang on. Full stop. You're making the case. I just want to make sure I'm clear. You're making the case that they didn't want to look at these therapeutics and particularly outpatient early stage therapeutics because they already had in mind to go on some sort of experimental vaccine where they would need a EUA and if you had these therapeutics out there, it'd be very t- tough to get. And that you make a, I don't want to call it cynical, but you say, hey, $11 here versus whatever the thousands of dollars it is. It's the, it's the difference in the value proposition for big pharma. Is that the, the heart of your argument? Yes, it is. Both the vaccines and a drug called remdesivir. They were waiting to give a patient remdesivir. When we had that case out in... Uh, Seattle, I think it was, the very first acknowledged case, there was a team there within hours to administer remdesivir. They got the guy very early. Um, It was one of the early Wuhan strains. There's a chance he probably would have gotten better by himself. But uh, they pumped it into him, and a couple days later, his appetite was back, and uh, he was getting his breath back, and it looked like a good idea. That was the data that we had. Plus, we knew the Chinese were very interested in the drug and to the point where they were ready to break a, a patent uh, to start manufacturing it themselves. Okay, hang on. Dr. Hatfield, hang on for a second. I'm a whole Dr. Hatfield. Peter Navarro will be joined by Gordon Chang and Bradley Thayer. All next, second half of the war room. War Room Posse, you already know free speech is under constant attack by the swamp and their big tech allies. They resell your communications and personal data while lecturing and laughing at you. I've got the solution. Unplugged Systems, a secure communications company, has an app suite you can install on any Android phone, including its own uncancelable app store, VPN, antivirus, and highly encrypted messenger better than Wicker, Signal, Telegram, or anything else. None of your message or VPN traffic is stored, analyzed, or sold. Claim your security for only $10 a month. Go to their website, unplugged.com. That's unplugged.com slash war room to install the Unplugged Suite. It's secure, 
It's private. It's the way we stay connected and informed. Get it now. Take action, action, action. Use your agency. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code warroom at checkout to save 67%. Do it again. Warroomhealth, all one word, warroomhealth.com. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there, do it today, check it out. They put Peter Navarro in leg irons for simply doing his constitutional duty. Now they want to put Peter in prison for standing up for Donald Trump. Please go to Amazon right now and order Taking Back Trump's America to help fund Peter's legal defense. Taking Back Trump's America provides a critical MAGA blueprint to put Trump back in the White House in 2024. Buy Taking Back Trump's America on Amazon today. If they can put Peter Navarro in prison, they can come for all of us. War Room Battleground with Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, welcome back uh, to the Battleground. We've had to restructure the show a little bit because I got to spend some more time with, uh, I got Gordon Chang and, and Bradley Thayer coming up, very disturbing news out of China. But we're going to go back to the original bad news out of China and the CCP COVID virus. We're going to go back to the year 2020. Uh, Stephen, half a, uh, Navarro, I'm now coming to you, but I want to tell you the following. As revered as uh, Dr. Stephen Hatfield is, remember, he was our kind of an, an in-house consultant advisor for the first, I think, week of a war and pandemic. Uh, he had that book, I think it was three seconds to midnight or three minutes to midnight, just absolute a book that came out. That's still the definitive book about handling pandemics. Um, when a guy like Dr. Hatfield makes an accusation as uh, brutally frank and startling as that, that this is about big pharma, this is about money and Hey, it is what it is. And whoever died, died. And that's the way they roll. Dr. Navarro, is that correct? Do you believe the same thing Dr. Hatfield thinks? you think that the, these decisions and now this kind of, I would say, essentially House Democrats cover up of this in this report is as cynical Steve, as, uh, as, as Stephen Hatfield says, is that they, they wanted to they wanted to they knew they couldn't issue an EUA uh, for, for uh, the experimental uh, vaccines. And they knew that the value proposition to pharma was to the 10th power of what it was with the $11, you know, uh, treatment from yeah. hydroxychloroquine, Dr. Peter Navarro. So Stephen Hatfield, Doc Hatfield is a hundred percent right, but it's only half of the story. The other half of the story is simply that as soon as president Donald Trump suggested that hydroxychloroquine might work as a therapeutic, the knives became out 
to undermine the president on that. So hydroxy didn't have a chance. As soon as Trump said, yeah, this may work, they just started doing their like crazy stuff at CNN, New York Times, oh, 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 this kind of thing like that, and created what I called hydroxy hysteria. This is all in the, my first memoir, the In Trump Time book, chapter seven. Um, and you know, the, the, the effect there was the media kept doubling down on all this. And now, you know, we fast forward, and I think it's important to ask Stephen the, the, the question. We've got Paxlovid, which is a therapeutic produced by Pfizer that costs $500, Steve, $500 for a five-day treatment course. It causes liver damage. It inter, inter, uh, interrupts HIV-type medicines. It causes allergic reaction well, hold it let me let me and let me let me ask let me ask Hatfield it's a, it's a crappy therapy are you are you and are you saying works. that hang on hang on stop are you saying Dr yeah. Hatfield that this whole mess with the vaccines and with all this and the new treatments coming out that this is all driven by the greed of a big pharma isn't that isn't that too on the nose or do you actually believe that no they've been running this pandemic along with Fauci the conflicts of interest here are still uncertain and unexplored. But things this great and this perverse uh, to the point where the medical literature is affected. Uh, the O'Neill study, the New England Journal of Medicine, it was a breakthrough. 51% improved mortality with hydroxychloroquine given as the patient comes into casualty. This is, this is major news. And the New England Journal wouldn't publish it. We have Janet Woodcock uh, on the editorial board uh, of, of, of the New England Journal of Medicine. And she's in charge of the drug safety things. She's the one that told Rick Bright, no, we have to, we can only give this to hospitalized patients. Um, the, the association with other companies, uh, this all needs to be explored. The, the vaccine people that had never produced a vaccine in their lives, why were they given preferential? The Moderna, why was this given preferential over a known uh, uh, drug company? Was this, a, was this a conflict with Dr. Fauci? We don't know. This needs to be investigated. But something was very wrong because the efficacy of hydroxychloroquine, then there were five good papers. Now, there's 351 papers and in a meta-analysis of these 351 papers shows up to a 70% improvement in 30 different early treatment studies and 81 up to an 81% lower mortality. Do, 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 do you have, we got to bounce and I want to, I've got to get you guys back for a special, but I, I don't, I haven't gone through the whole house thing. Did the minority side, the Republicans, are they making that case in, in this report? Or, is anybody, or do you believe in the new Congress, we need a whole new set of investigations here? Because this cuts to the core of the regulatory capture uh, of Big Pharma in, in the administrative state. So that's why I played the part at the beginning about the administrative state. Let me start with Hatfield and I'll go to Peter. I only got a few minutes. Dr. Hatfield, I don't see that your argument being made even by guys that should be on your side of the football, the minority side of this select committee. So are you calling for a new set of investigations, a new set of, of uh, house 
investigation starting with the new Congress over and above what we already know they're going to do with Tony Fauci and the Wuhan lab and the interactions with the University of North Carolina gain of function, the PLA, uh, the bioweapons program of the CCP, all of that. Are you calling for a new set of investigations just on this topic? Yes, the, the data is there. All they have to do is look at it. Stephen Hahn said that, oh, uh, uh, Senator Johnson had him in front of the uh, uh, of a hearing. And Stephen Hahn said, Dr. Hahn said, well, you know, it's proof that we need to start looking at the real world and, you know, see what was going on. Stephen Hahn could have come by the office at any time. Uh, every paper ever written, we had. And in five minutes, he could see the efficacy of this drug. He never came by. Yet in September of 2020, he's on a radio program where he says, oh, yes, I I think hydroxychloroquine has an effect. My God, your job is to support the president of the United States and his decisions. This was the correct choice. Early outpatient treatment stops pandemics. In-hospital treatment does not. And this was foregone for in-hospital treatments and vaccines. It's Dr. Uh, Hatfield, how do people... How do people get to your website or your social media, sir, to follow up on this? Dr. Stephen, D-R-S-T-E-B-E-N, Dr. Stephen Hatfill, H-A-T-F-I-L-L, dot com. There's numerous papers on this. Or you can contact uh, PCEN Media, Inc., and they'll, uh, they'll get you directed. Real quick on Amazon, what's the give the title of the book? Because people should get this book and as a primer to give a speech for these hearings next year. What's what's the title of the book and where they get it on Amazon? Three seconds until midnight, and there's a second one that will be coming out shortly called Three Seconds After Midnight. Um, anyway. Okay, Doctor Hatfield, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Peter Navarro, uh, where do you? Go? We got about two minutes. Where do we go from here? Where 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 do you go? They they kind of smear you and Doctor Hadfield in this report. Uh, what, what I do you, they, where do you go? Where do you t- where do you take this fight? I think the committee did did the world a favor here by letting this genie back out of the bottle. I mean they they insist that I quote wrongly pressured the FDA to push forward hydroxychloroquine. If if this works, we have studies now that show unequivocally that hydroxy saves lives and mitigates symptoms. So the question is, will this report reopen this debate? And at a minimum, come January, oh, when the Republicans oh, are back in control, yes. there's going to be people in there who want to get to the bottom of this, along with everything else we got yeah. to get to the bottom of no, with these. They, they, but they've this op- killed they've, they've, they, Hundreds of thousands of Americans are dead today because of do, Stephen do you Hahn, think FDA, because of Janet Woodcock, and because of CNN and the New York Times and the corporate media, which would basically bury that drug, even though it's $12 and saves lives. Full stop. Doctor Hadfield said this is a Doctor Hadfield said this is a crime. Is this going to be a crime scene investigation, sir? I, look in my in Trump time book. I said it was it, murder or at least negligent homicide. It is. These people acted willfully, willfully to prevent 
a drug they knew could likely save lives. And they did it for political reasons uh, to stop Trump and for profit yeah. reasons to help big pharma. Okay. I mean, that's it's as disgusting Let me have, as you get. Have, Nobody trusts the FDA have, or the FBI and everything in between with this government right now. And for good reason. I'm disgusted. The administrative state. Administrative state. Okay, get get real quickly how they get the book. Where do they order the book from? Uh, go, just go to PeterNavarro.com, uh, Taking Back Trump's America. Taking Back Trump's America on Amazon. Get it. It's the blueprint and battle cry for taking the House back in 2022 and the White House back in 2024. Taking Back Trump's America. Must reading for everybody here in this country if we're going to stop these people. Perfect, uh, sir. Thank you very much. Look forward to having you back on this topic. I want to go down to Gordon Chang. Uh, Gordon, thank you, sir. Gordon Chang is one of the most um, serious, knowledgeable um, observers and analysts regarding the Chinese Communist Party, the PLA. He had a very disturbing piece the other day that said the Chinese Communist Party, the PLA, are preparing for a kinetic war, and they're preparing for a kinetic war now, not in the future. Now, Gordon Chang, thank you for joining us. Uh, lay out your evidence of why you think they're going. They're getting ready for a kinetic war now in the South China Sea or in Taiwan. There's a number of instances. So, for instance, a, a Chinese entrepreneur, factory owner, a couple of weeks ago, told me that um, local officials came to him and said he's no longer making medical equipment for civilians. He's going to be making um, items for war. And he also said that there were a number of other people in his sort of, uh, you know, also factory owners who um, were told the same thing. So it seems like it was systemic. We have heard these uh, reports from the Financial Times and others that uh, the Chinese government is trying to sanctions proof itself. Um, so, for instance, they held a meeting um, in April um, of banks in Beijing talking about how to protect the country's foreign reserves from Western sanctions. The Communist Party has told its officials to shed their foreign assets so they won't be subject to foreign penalties. And on the first of last year, um, China's national defense law was amended so that uh, power was taken away from the civilian state council given to the Central Military Commission of the Communist Party, um, which runs the military to mobilize civilian society. So this is not just a question of the Chinese military um, bulking up. This is a question of organizing civilians to get ready for kinetic conflict. There's a number of other instances um, that uh, are uh, that I report on, but essentially what you see is a pattern of the Communist Party getting ready to go to war. Gordon, they've had this uh, situation now in the in the financial industry. We're going to get there on here in a second. But the 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 collapse of the real estate market. You see tanks outside of the China, of the Bank of China branch in Henan. Uh, all types of financial turmoil. You know, real estate prices dropping twenty percent. Is a is is this their natural reaction of drive to hyper nationalism or ultra nationalism to offset what looks like an increasing dire financial and economic picture, sir? I think so, Steve. One thing we know for sure, um, while the Chinese economy internally is falling apart, um, you know, the property sector, just to give you one example, um, both sales and prices fell about 40% in the first half of this year compared to the comparable period last year. That's a failure of the core of the Chinese economy because property represents somewhere between 25 to 30% of gross domestic product, which is very high by um, international standards. 
Um, we see the bank runs that you referred to, the mortgage boycotts, all sorts of signs of problems. The only thing that's going right for the Chinese Communist Party right now with the economy is export sales. But apart from that, everything else is failing. And, and while all of this is going on, um, you have a much more belligerent Chinese uh, uh, diplomats, um, Chinese posture towards neighbors like India, Philippines, Japan, Taiwan. So you put the two together and the conclusion is, I think, apparent that uh, what they're trying to do is distract Chinese people away from obvious policy failures at home by creating um, problems abroad. Is the 20th Party Congress, where she is uh, supposed to be anointed uh, emperor for life, is that driving things? Does he want to do this beforehand? Do you think he'll wait till after that? Or in your mind, may he even delay it? I think he has to, first of all, on the 20th National Congress, um, if tradition holds, and that's a big if, it will be in October or November of this year. If Xi Jinping is really powerful, he could very well just postpone the 20th National Congress for a long time, which is what his hero Mao Zedong used to do with national congresses. Um, but what we are seeing, I think, is intense political infighting right now, um, which means that China is probably not going to start a major military adventure, um, largely because um, to do this, Steve, um, Xi Jinping, for instance, if he wanted to invade Taiwan, he would have to give some general or admiral almost complete control over the Chinese military, which would make that flag officer the most powerful figure in China. And at a time right, right now where he wants to be get that third term as general secretary, he's not going to divest himself of authority and power. So I don't think anything's going to happen in the near future. But if he gets that third term as general secretary, then yeah, all bets are off because then all sorts of things can happen. And he's got a window of opportunity in which to act, which means that if we can get over the next two, three years, we'll be okay. But this next to two to three years, I think, is a time of heightened danger. Gordon, how can people follow you and your analysis? Because it's uh, it's the best out there. How do people stay in touch with you? Um, I tweet um, developments at at Gordon G. Chang, G-O-R-D-O-N-G-C-H-A-N-G. I archive all my articles for free at my website, www.gordonchang.com. Gordon Chang, thank you very much. Honored to have you on here, sir. Thank you so we, much, Steve. Start, I'm honored start, to be on your show. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Uh, we start today with the Financial Times. We're going to end with the Financial Times. A brilliant piece in American Greatness by Dr. Bradley Thayer, another amazing analyst of all things China. Walk us through the Financial Times. What was it the Damascene moment, their road to Damascus at the, at the Financial Times, Dr. Thayer? Hi, Steve. Great to be with you again. Yeah, the piece is entitled uh, The Financial Times and the Road to Damascus. Uh, and so the thrust of the argument is the Financial Times had an editorial recently where they made the argument that China is a threat now uh, and that Western uh, corporations need to prepare uh, for the fact that China is a threat uh, in, in light of uh, measures that they might have to take to leave China or provide other sources of uh, supply or markets. Uh, what I do in the piece is argue uh, that um, it does seem, uh, perhaps, that uh, the financial community, of which the Financial Times, of course, is uh, a, a centerpiece, really, uh, of it, uh, is maybe waking up uh, to the China threat. 
However, it's a bit quixotic, isn't it, Steve? It's a bit um, rather uh, to our chagrin, those who created the monster are now uh, recognizing that in fact they've made a monster, right? If they hadn't invested in China, uh, if they hadn't taken the actions that they did over decades, uh, they would not have kept the Chinese Communist Party in power. Uh, they would not have given China the wealth to devote to its uh, war against the United States and against the rest of the world. Nonetheless, they did. Uh, so they generated uh, this uh, monster. We all have to deal with the consequences of that. Uh, so um, it's about time to call big finance to account. Now, uh, you just, of course, Peter was making the great argument about the cost of COVID. Well, what are, what's the cost of this uh, big financial decision to invest in, ch in China year after year after year? Well, it's given us the greatest threat we've ever faced uh, in our history and the greatest threat that the West has ever here, faced. Uh, but here, here's, here's, here's where I want to have, we'll have you back on tomorrow because here's why. I wanted to have Gordon on first and Peter before you. We're now talking, a guy like Gordon Chang's now talking that the, in the next two or three years, we're looking at a kinetic war between two great powers, and they're gearing up for it. The solution to this is not to have a kinetic war, right? It's the old uh, unrestricted warfare. We have economic war. The solution is in the Financial Times' audience. They created the Frankenstein monster. The cutting off of capital and technology is what destroys the Frankenstein monster. You don't have to prepare for a kinetic war. Dr. Thayer, how do people get to you? I, we have to develop this more because it's all falling together now. And when the Financial Times of London sits and goes, wow, this really is a threat. You're absolutely correct. It's a threat you did create, but it's also a threat that capital markets and the, and the global corporations can defang before it's too late. Dr. If, Thayer, if how do people get to you? What, what's your easiest? Uh, if they're of a mind to, which policy. we're going to make sure we're going to set, we're going to set their minds right, Doctor Thayer. That's the purpose of the war room. What's your, what's your, uh, what's your social media, sir? Uh, well, Center for Security Policy uh, dot org. Uh, all my writings are there, and then of course uh, uh, at uh, Getter under Bradley Thayer at Getter, and then at uh, Truth Social under Bradley Thayer at Truth, Truth Social. Thank you, Steve. Thanks very much. Val by the way, Dr. Thayer is always up on Epoch Times. You can get all the stuff up on Getter. It's just absolutely amazing. Dr. Bradley Thayer, thank you so much. Glad you're over at the Center for Security Policy. Frank Gaffney, the team committee on the present danger. Okay, tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. We're going to start it again. It's going, we're going to be all over the finance, the economics, the geopolitics of it all. See you tomorrow morning in the war room, 10 a.m.